sorry. If you want one of these, there's a water fountain in the back. If you're dying of heat, uh, please know that I won't be offended if you get up to get a drink of water so that you can stay awake and alert. And if uh, you really need help, downstairs is still a little cooler. So um, if you need to escape to that, I, again, please know that we do what you need to do this morning to uh, be able to engage as we look at God's Word together. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning we come to you needy. Lord, we need you to speak to us. Lord, we need you to help us because our minds are unclear, our wills are stubborn and rebellious, our hearts run after many other things instead of you. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at your word, Lord, that you will help us this morning. Help us to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I ask for your help that you may speak through me. Lord, I pray that together, Lord, we would uh, learn from you this morning more of the way of wisdom that you have set forth for us and of the great love you've shown us in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, his words hit me like a slap in the face. No, he won't, Matt. I was a 21-year-old senior in college standing outside of Brown Hall, my dormitory. I was in a serious dating relationship and had been processing with my discipler and mentor about this relationship. He was counseling me to to not be foolish because I was being nitpicky and critical of a godly woman who I was dating, someone who was worthy of better than me. And I had just told him, well, I guess God will make it clear to me as I was weighing my confusion of, do I keep doing this or not, as we often do when we're young. I guess God will just show me the way. And he looked at me and he said, no. No, he won't, Matt. His words were a loving rebuke to me to not pass the buck of my responsibility to make a mature decision in this situation to God. They were wise words, they were lovingly given, and they stung. And I wish I could tell you I listened, but In the process, it felt like a slap in the face. And that's what it feels like when someone challenges us, doesn't it? Whether we call it correction, rebuke, reproof, or even just instruction, all those words are the words that are words that the book of Proverbs uses. They still sting at the time. But as some of my seminary friends would remind me, reality is your friend even when it hurts. And it's better to know the truth about yourself particularly than it is to live in ignorance and delusion. We come this morning to the next sermon in our Proverbs series um, on the way of wisdom, on how is it that God has designed the world for us to walk rightly before him? What are the dynamics of his wisdom that shape our lives? 
And we're, we're into the, the topical part of our series. Nick explained it last week. I won't rehash it, but go back and listen to his sermon about why, as we're looking to, for, at Proverbs 10 through 31, we're doing it topically. And this morning, the topic is correction. And again, that's the word I'll use, although there are many different words that the, uh, that the book of Proverbs uses for it. Uh, even discipline, we heard it in the, uh, in the passage from Hebrews earlier this morning. And what is this? What is this correction, right? Particularly in this context, it's a subset of words in the book of Proverbs. It's how we use words to come to someone else. Words help us. Correction is words that help us by correcting our understanding, our assumptions, and our perspectives, often about ourselves and how we live and relate to others. In correction, truth is brought to bear to change us by helping us see things as they really are. So they're words that will challenge us in all sorts of areas of our lives. How do we use our words? How do we live out our relationships? How do we steward our money, our wealth, our sex, our power, our entertainment? Correction comes in every sphere of life with words to help us see what is really true and right. And so we hear from the book of Proverbs, and because we're jumping around, I'll try to carefully enunciate what the references are, uh, but if you're trying to take notes, uh, I would recommend writing them down rather than trying to flip through Proverbs to get them. Uh, But you can also ask me afterwards, I'll send you a list of the Proverbs that I'm using in the sermon if you need that. Proverbs 13.1 says, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And Proverbs 12, 1, which I think might be my favorite, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Very blunt, isn't it? Very straightforward. This is what we're going to see. That the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, God speaks to us words of wisdom saying that correction is important in our lives. As we explore it, we're going to answer two simple questions. One, why do we need correction? And two, what does godly correction look like? So those are the two questions. Hopefully you'll walk away with a little bit more understanding about those things. So to begin with, let's answer the question from Proverbs. Why do we need correction? Well, I have three reasons for you. The first reason is because we are, by nature, fools. This is the word Proverbs uses for people who don't know God rightly and don't live according to his ways in the world. That is, because of our sinful nature, we have an unerring disposition to stray from God. And in doing so, we are fools. And so, Proverbs 12, 15 says... The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. How true is this? One of the reasons we need correction is because we think we're right all the time. Have you ever thought about that? As you enter into a conversation, as you try to solve a problem, when you're doing it, even if you're uncertain, at the end of the day, you're going to think, well, this was the best I could do, but this is, what I, this is the right thing to do. Or, I think I'm right about this situation. We rarely think, I don't know anything, I can't do anything. We are right in our own eyes far too often. 
the pride that rose up in Adam as he stood in the garden and saw the temptation to doubt God and to think, think that he could be the one who would know right and wrong, good and evil, is in, in all of our hearts. We foolishly believe that we're doing everything right and we desperately justify ourselves and our actions over and over again. In a two-year-old, it looks like this. No, daddy, do it myself. In a teenager, it's the eye roll. There aren't even words to express it. Yes, dad. I can't even do it. In an adult, it might look like whatever. But so easily we dismiss other people because we are so convinced that we're right. And yet in in recognizing that folly, we recognize this is why we need correction. The second thing is because without correction, folly leads to destruction. So Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignore instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Poverty and disgrace, the breakdown of our normal provision of our life and of our relationships. When we lack correction in our life, when we want to go it our own and do it our own way, the Bible tells us over and over again, it does not lead to life but to death. And this is the foolishness of it because we keep pursuing it thinking it's going to get us what we want and instead what we reap is something much worse. So Proverbs 15.10, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. That's a strong word, isn't it? But Proverbs says this over and over again. The way of wisdom leads to life. The way of foolishness leads to death. And why is that? Go back, listen to my sermon on Proverbs 8. But it's because because foolishness, living apart from God, is against the grain of the very world that he created and the very way that he created us to be and to live. And so when we live against the grain of God's created order, We live against the grain of the very things that God created to be life-giving. And so we end up in places of death, relational death, spiritual death, financial death, and literal death at times. We need correction because we are by nature fools who think highly of ourselves. We We need correction because without it we end up in destruction And thirdly, we need correction because it's good for us. Proverbs not only points out the bad thing that we're headed to if we don't have it, but it points out the good. So Proverbs 6, 23 and 24. For the commandment is a lamp and and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman and from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. If you remember back in chapter six, there were these women crying out, these women who are images of wisdom and foolishness, crying out and calling us to follow them. They were seeking to entice us. He says, correction, instruction. Here you see the commandments and the reproofs of discipline lead us in the right way. 
It puts us in along the grain of God's created order, and it leads us to life. And then Proverbs 24, 5 and 6, a wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might, for by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. So here the Proverbs remind us that as as we live out our lives with the battles that we're facing, the challenges that we're facing, the things we have to overcome, that wisdom gives us what? Strength, knowledge that enhances our might, and in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. The Bible knows very little of the Lone Ranger in American uh, folklore, the man who will go off, the independent strong man who can go and do everything himself. Instead, it says, no, we need other people in our lives. The abundance of counselors brings blessing to us. Think about this in some other contexts in life. If you want to be a ranger, are you going to go like Rambo and go train in the forest or in the jungle by yourself and think you can do it? Even Rocky had a coach, you know? The ranger goes to training where he has officers and where he has others and they're telling him, no, if you put your gun together like that, it won't work. If you try to kill a man like that, he's going to kill you instead. He needs that correction so that he can be trained that in the moment of of battle, he is now instinctively doing what is going to be right and good for him to do what he needs to do. Or think about a gymnast. A gymnast jumps onto the balance beam. He or she doesn't know. She doesn't, I guess he doesn't do balance beams. So she doesn't know how to do that herself. She needs a coach to show her. No, the line goes like this. This is how you keep your balance. Do these over and over and over again with constant input. Because then at the Olympics, when they get up on the balance beam with all the pressure, this instinctive learned behavior that's been corrected and refined over time by the constant input of a coach produces the beauty and elegance desired. Maybe some of you are pianists. My kids have been taking piano lessons, and uh, it's been fun to watch them do it. But um, one of the things that's amazing is, right, basic piano skills have to do with things like sitting up straight, positioning your body right, putting your hands, you know, this is not a piano player, this is a piano player for those of you who, right? It's, it, they're very basic things, but But if you don't do them, as you learn, as as you grow, you might get away with it for a while. But as you try and continue to progress, you find out you can't become a good piano player when your form is terrible. Without those basic skills that are drilled into you by practice and with a coach who's reminding you, a teacher who's, who's saying, do this and this, and here's the next step, and here's the next step. All all sorts of areas in our lives. We require training because it produces what we desire and what we long for. And this is what the Proverbs are saying that God is doing for us. Counsel and correction are necessary for us and they lead to good things. 
Not only do they lead to, to good things in terms of the pattern of our lives, but also they lead to something better. We experience love, God's love and the love of others in correction. And so, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Friends, do you hear this? When God disciplines us, it is a sign that we are his daughter, we are his son. It means we belong, and it means that he has set his love on us. This is an amazing truth. And when God uses the instruments of people around us, the friends who are better than a brother, who speak hard words at time for us, it is then we know that they really love us. We don't always respond to it well, do we? There are times when just plain in our pride, we don't like it when our faults are pointed out, when our shortcomings are, are, are exposed. We often feel attacked or threatened. We resist it because we feel like our identity or our reputation is at stake in what the other person is saying. I do want to recognize, too, that some of us struggle with correction because you've grown up in a place where it wasn't really correction at all. What you experienced were harsh and demanding, condemning words, words not to build up but to tear down and to destroy, words of anger and frustration and of hatred. And you may have a hard time hearing words of correction because that's been the pattern that you've heard all your life. But I want you to hear this morning, those things are not biblical correction. And that is not love. That is hatred. When we use our words to attack and to belittle and to destroy others. But godly correction is actually a sign of God's love for us. And so for all of these reasons, we need correction. For all of these reasons, we need this in our lives. Leads us to the question, do you think that's true? Do you believe that when your friend comes to you and says, hey Nick, you're kind of harsh in staff meeting. Uh, Something going on? Did you mean to say it that way? Is that really what you wanted to do? This is hypothetical, by the way, not real. Didn't happen this week, so want to um, dispel any w- rumors that might be forming in your mind. Um, but do you love it when someone comes to you and says something like that? Do you welcome it? Do you see it as God's gift to us and a treasure? Listen to Proverbs 25, 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Correction is a gift, my friends. It is a good thing. 
So what then does it look like? What does godly correction look like? There are two aspects to it. There has to be a heart and there has to be a a pattern. So we're going to talk a little bit about the heart and then about the pattern. Starting with the heart then, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So this is now putting yourself not on the receiving, but on the giving end of it. What is the heart of correction? It is the heart of love. It is, I love you too much to see you continue in this destructive pattern. I love you too much to let you continue in your ignorance that those words or those actions were good or right or productive in your life. It is not fixing a problem. What you did bugged me and I didn't like it, so I'm going to correct you. No, that's not godly correction. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, someone who is committed to you, someone who is not your enemy, but your friend. Do you see what your enemies do? Your enemies don't say anything. Your enemies flatter you and say, you're the best. You never do anything wrong. We think you're the most wonderful person in the whole world. You could never do anything bad. And as much as our ego would love to have people in our lives who say that to us, that's not love. In fact, Proverbs calls that what an enemy does to us. They butter us up so that we'll continue to like them. Real love is willing to expose truth for the sake of that person and for their good. I remember once when I was on staff, I was challenged to move positions and to leave one team and go to the next one, and I was deeply conflicted about it. I had committed to this team. We were building something that was exciting, and I, we had talked a lot about doing it together for a long time and about the value of working together with other people. Um, But then leadership came along and they said, there's a whole campus, there are 100 students, there's lots of opportunity. We think you can do this, you'll you'll get to call your own shots. There are all sorts of different things that rose up in my mind. So I made the decision to go and my friend called me. And believe me, it was not convenient. It was the night before I was leaving on an overseas missions trip. He was far away, so I was having this, literally a a conversation in a phone booth, all right? They don't even exist anymore. I was in a phone booth. And he lovingly said, Matt, I don't think this is the right decision. I don't think your motives are good. I understand why it's compelling, but I'm really concerned for you. This doesn't seem good. And not because we're losing you, but because it doesn't seem like a good thing. Will you you reconsider? And I listened to him that time, at least for a little while. I still made the decision to go. And you know what my friend did? He loved me anyway. I came back from the mission trip having made the decision, and we sat down and we talked about it. And years later, he married me. And today, he's still the person that I pick up the phone when I have a major life decision to call. Because he loved me as a friend enough to challenge me. 
And I was so thankful for that. So part of the heart dynamic is this real love, seeking someone else's good, not just trying to fix a problem, not just trying to remove an annoyance, but for their good. Proverbs 29.1 exposes another heart dynamic we need to recognize. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Stiff-necked is a great phrase in the Bible, isn't it? Being stiff-necked means that you are unteachable and un unleadable. Uh, I think it actually is an agricultural image that has to do with a, a, a horse that you can't turn the neck one way or the other. He will just go the way he's going to go no matter what. Uh, I'm not positive about that, but I think that's where it comes from. But being stiff-necked is pride. It's a great picture of what pride is. I'm going to do my own thing in my own way. And Proverbs warns us that in the dynamics of correction, Pride will ruin the dynamics on both sides. Pride of the reprover, the one who's bringing correction, will bring condemnation, arrogance, uh, all sorts of negative kind of things. Pride on the one who's receiving it will make us fools who who refuse to accept it. But when there's humility, When there's humility, correction works beautifully. When our hearts are right, we humbly give correction that will invite someone to respond, to process, and to change. And when our hearts are right, we can humbly receive correction. Receive it and seek for it to do good in our lives. So humility is a critical part. Love and humility together when they are working in this process of correction is a beautiful thing. So that's the heart issue. Now what about the practice? Well, here we go. All right? If you're taking notes, here's here's where the the rubber meets the road. Um, These are pastoral thoughts for you. Proverbs, even at this level, doesn't lay out so much of of a paradigm. But this is what happens. This is what happens when we practice it well in the giving of correction, okay? It is spoken humbly. That is, acknowledge you are not perfect. Acknowledge that you don't know everything. Be careful to check your own heart so that you're not doing it for selfish motives. We don't want any church ladies going around going, tsk, tsk, don't do that, tsk, tsk, don't do that. That's not helpful. And it's not humble. So it needs to be spoken humbly. It also needs to be spoken clearly. You did these things. You said these words. You acted in these ways that seemed to me to not be right or good. Maybe I didn't understand. Maybe I miss, missaw. Maybe there's, there's a sense of, I'm going to bring you what I saw. I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge I might have gotten it wrong but I'm going to bring it as clearly as I can. And in that clarity, one of the things I'm going to do is avoid the you always and you never. This is marriage counseling 101, friends. If you didn't, you always and you never are poison in any relationship and particularly in correction. You always do it this way. You never do that. 
It's not helpful correction when we talk in generalities. It is helpful to talk in specifics. Thirdly, I've already referred to this, but it should be spoken without assumption of motive or intent. I don't know what you meant, but when you did this or when you said this, it communicated this to me. Is that what you meant? Is that what you wanted? That's a helpful way of correcting. It's a helpful way of rebuking or reproving. It invites a relationship and a conversation. Spoken humbly, clearly, without assumption. It is spoken aptly. This is Nick's word from last week. But specifically, that is, timing and setting are important. Generally, correction should be done in private, not in public. This is why, moms, you should take your child out of the grocery store to discipline them, even if it means you leave the cart full of ice cream. You just do it because it's better. Because public correction brings shame very quickly. And shame can destroy the ability for someone to receive it well. It also needs to be said in as timely a manner as possible. Do you remember three years ago, last Thursday, when you said this? No. Well, it was really not good. Can you fix that? I don't even remember what I did. Timeliness is part of it being an apt word. So don't let it fester. Maybe you need a little bit of time to process it, to evaluate whether this something needs to be said or not. But if you're bringing it, do it in a timely manner. Needs to be spoken in person. Maybe in a letter, if you have a fear that it's going to be so explosive or so difficult, that you need to write it down. But even if you're writing it down in a letter, you want to invite then a face-to-face conversation as a follow-up to it. Friends, maybe this doesn't need to be said, but Twitter is a really bad way to do this. Social media is not the right forum to bring correction to one another's lives. It just isn't. It's not made for that. Don't let it become your main means of communication with people because it will disallow healthy correction in your life. In person allows us to see the facial expressions, to hear the tone, to feel the impulse, and maybe even the hug that needs to go along with the word of correction. So do it in person. And finally, correction means speaking courageously. Because you know what? This is hard. It's out of practice in our culture. We don't live in a culture that does this well. Um, And so it's hard. And we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of conflict. And often, in our fear, we don't do it well either. We speak either too strongly or too weakly in the moment because of fear. And so we need to ask the Lord to help us be courageous. Be courageous enough to be calm and to be loving and to invite relationship while speaking hard truths of correction. All right. 
That's how, that's how it could look like. That's my advice to you on how it could look when you say it well. How about receiving it well? What does this look like? Well, you know, it's fascinating because when you look for, through the Proverbs, they have a lot more to say about how to receive it, but it's almost all negative. What does that say about us, right? Um, the pro- this is the problem that Proverbs exposes more than anything else. So we'll look at some of the, the ways that Proverbs exposes our negative reception, then we'll, we'll end with something positive, right? How do we do it badly? Well, as we've read, we stiffen our necks. We become defensive. I didn't do that. What are you talking about? I didn't say that. No, I didn't. My six-year-old is very good at this. Did you leave the refrigerator open? No. Did anyone else touch the refrigerator besides you? No. (laughs) The refrigerator door is open. I don't know. We're so prone to just say, no. We become defensive, stiffen our necks, say, no, I don't, I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to allow that to be true. Second thing we do is we lash out at the person who brings us. Proverbs is very, it says this a number of times, Proverbs 9, 7 through, 9, 7 through 8 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Put the other shoe on that proverb, what does it mean? And we know we've done this. Well, who are you to correct me? I know you're not perfect. You want me to go down your fault? Can I point out all the ways you're not doing things right? We shift into attack mode so quickly when someone brings correction into our lives, don't we? And we often try to shift the attention in order to hide our shame. We attack often in a desire that the person who came with correction will run away in fear and think, I can't do that anymore. I have nothing else to say. So we stiffen our necks, we lash out. The third thing, this is fascinating, Hebrews, or not Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So what happens when someone brings correction? We start talking. Well, yeah, but let me explain. Let me try to get, you know, and, and 15 minutes later, The person who's brought the correction is saying, did you even hear me at all? Because it's been so confounded and so clouded by many words that are not receiving the word of correction, but are trying to actually evade it by talking about our own opinion. Yeah, but let me explain. And fourthly, some of the ways we don't receive it well we avoid uh, Proverbs fifteen twelve. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. So one of our best tactics is simply to avoid them. That person spoke to me once and they tried to correct me. Well, I'm not going to talk to them again. I'm going to only be in group settings. I'm only going to talk about super, superficial things. I'm going to run as fast as I can. That person used to be my friend, but then he tried to correct me. Well, that was the end of that. 
Friends, our hearts so resist this dynamic. And yet, when it's done well, when it's received well, it can be such a beautiful thing. So the flip side of those, what does it look like? It looks like a soft heart. Brother, sister, I'm so glad you said something. I didn't realize, or you're right, or I, didn't, I don't even know what I was doing, but I know I need to think about it. And here's the thing, even if 50%, no, even if 80%, no, even if 90% of it is communicated poorly to you and the content isn't even true, a humble heart says, if 10% of that is true, I wanna know it. And I'm gonna receive the 100% and I'm gonna process it with the Lord, I'm gonna process it with other people so I can find the 10% that really is true. A humble heart receives it, even when it's mixed and even when it's not well done, being thankful for it. The second thing is receiving it well means giving a gentle response to the messenger. I'm so thankful you said something. This is really hard for me to hear, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. Um, now let me put in one little caveat here, and that is that there is a time to consider the source. Uh, this is where the internet, like people who are correcting you over the internet, you can probably just shut it down. Like just don't listen, right? Because trolls and everyone else are gonna be criticizing. It's, it's, it's become an industry of being critical in unhelpful and destructive ways, right? So consider that. It also means that the man walking by, uh, walking by uh, your life, you know, just passing through, if he lobs a grenade of correction in your life, you want to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, is there truth here? But if it's your best friend, if it's your spouse, if it's someone who knows you and loves you and they bring it, man, treasure it. Welcome it. Don't attack them, but receive them and be thankful for them. So, a soft heart, a gentle response. Third, a commitment to listening rather than explanation. Oh, I don't know what you're, I'm not quite sure what you're saying, but explain it to me more. Can you tell me more about what that looked like? What did you see? How did that affect you? Follow up by asking questions. And it's the hardest thing to do in the moment, isn't it? Because you, all your defense mechanisms are going, I'm putting up all my walls and the, you know, the doors are shutting and the, you know, the guns are getting pulled out and you're like, oh, I can't handle this. And to turn and to say, tell me more. It's tearing all of those defense mechanisms now. It's putting the guns away and saying, okay, this is really hard, but I don't understand yet. Can you, can you help me understand? So commitment to listening rather than explaining because explaining is putting up those walls and pulling out the guns. And fourthly, it's a commitment to pursue people who will speak truth to you. Friends, this is, this is I think, what the, what the writer of Proverbs wants us to get. 
This correction is so life-giving. It is so good. It is so beautiful for us. It brings us from death to life. It brings us from against the grain of God's world to with the grain of God's creation. This is so good, so pursue it. Find friends who will speak the truth to you because you need it desperately and because it's good for you. So, we come to Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Friends, here's the good news of the gospel. Correction is, Im- is embedded, it flows from the very fountain of the gospel truth itself. Because God does not come to us with flattery. Oh, you are such a good person. Of course I accept you and bring you into heaven. Because that's not the truth. But God comes to us with truth. You are a sinner. You are fallen and you are willful and you are broken. You don't know God and you don't know his ways. And therefore you don't live as you ought to as you were created to, as you were redeemed to. And he speaks this hard word to us in the gospel of you are a sinner and under God's condemnation. And it helps us see, well, we need help. How do we get out? Where is our rescue? And the gospel meets us there in that moment. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we had ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. When we know our sin, we finally understand how great the love is that God has shown for us by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He takes the penalty and the, and the punishment. He walks the path of the fool to the end of death for us and therefore redeems us from that foolish way of life, from our sinful, proud, stiff-necked rejection of God. And in love, he calls us into relationship with him, whereby now we have a new life that comes from Jesus rising from the dead. And from that life then, we have the new power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk in these paths of correction and of growth towards this life that we can have with God, with the grain, the way of wisdom, which is the life that Jesus promised when he said, I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. But we need the correction of the gospel if we will ever get there. And if it will be for the very salvation of our souls, don't you think it's worthwhile in all the other areas of our life to embrace this pattern of correction because in it God is doing this redemptive work in us of helping us grow. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask this morning 
that you would humble us before you. Lord, help us to embrace the sometimes prickly gift of correction in our lives. Lord, help us to be those who love one another well enough to speak words of correction. Help us, Lord, to be humble enough to give and receive it as well. Lord, for our good, that we may grow in the way of wisdom, in righteousness, in being like your son, Jesus. Lord, we know we can't do this apart from you and your help in the gospel, so we ask for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.